Inigo. In the mountains of central Spain, set high in the hills above Toledo, was the village of Arabella. It was very small, and the air was always clear. That was all you could say that was good about Arabella. Terrific air. You could see for miles. But there was no work. The dogs overran the streets, and there was never enough food. The air, clear enough, was also too hot in the daylight, freezing at night. As to Inigo's personal life, he was always just a trifle hungry. He had no brothers or sisters, and his mother had died in childbirth. He was fantastically happy because of his father. Domingo Montoya was funny-looking and crotchety and impatient and absent-minded and never smiled. Inigo loved him. Totally. Don't ask why. There really wasn't any one reason you could put your finger on. Oh, probably Domingo loved him back, but love is many things, none of them logical. Domingo Montoya made swords. If you wanted a fabulous sword, did you go to Domingo Montoya? If you wanted a great balanced piece of work, did you go to the mountains behind Toledo? If you wanted a masterpiece, a sword for the ages, was it Arabella that your footsteps led you to? Nope. You went to Madrid because Madrid was where lived the famous Yest. And if you had the money and he had the time, you got your weapon. Okay, so it's Y-E-S-T-E. -E. So I'm just gonna go with Yest. Uh, Yest was fat and jovial and one of the richest and most honored men in the city. And he should be, and he should have been. He made wonderful swords and noblemen bragged to each other what they own. Noblemen bragged to each other when they owned an original Yest. But sometimes, not often, mind you, maybe once a year, maybe less, a request would come in for a weapon that was more than even Yest could make. When that happened, did Yest say, Alas, I'm sorry, I cannot do it. Nope. What he said was, of course, I'd be delighted. 50% down payment, please. The rest before delivery. Come back in a year. Thank you very much. The next day, he would set out for the hills behind Toledo. So Domingo, Yest would call out when he reached Inigo's father's hut. So Yest, Domingo Montoya would return from the hut doorway. Then the two men would embrace and Inigo would come running up and Yest would rumple his hair and then Inigo would make tea while the two men talked. I need you, Yest would always begin. <laughs> Domingo would grunt. This very week I have accepted a commission to make a sword for a member of Italian nobility. It is to be jewel encrusted at the handle and the jewels are to spell out the name of his present mistress and no. That single word, and that alone. But it was enough. When Domingo Montoya said no, it meant nothing else but. Anigo, busy with the tea, knew what would happen now. Yest would use his charm. No. Yest would use his wealth. No. His wit, his wonderful gift for persuasion. No. He would beg, entreat, promise, pledge. No. Insults, threats. No. Finally, genuine tears. No. More tea, yes? Perhaps another cup, thank you. Then big. Why won't you? Inigo hurried to refill their cups, as so as he never missed a word. So as to never miss a word. There we go. Uh, he knew they had been brought up together, had known each other sixty years, 
had never not loved one another deeply, and it thrilled him when he could hear them arguing. That was the strange thing. Arguing was all they ever did. Why, my fat friend asks me, why? He sits there on his world-class ass and has the nerve to ask me why. Yes. Come to me some... Come to me sometime with a challenge. Once, just once, ride up and say, Domingo, I need a sword for an 80-year-old man to fight a duel. I would embrace you and cry yes, because to make a sword for an 80-year-old man to survive a duel, that would be something. Because the sword would have to be strong enough to win, yet light enough not to tire his weary arm. I would have to use all, I would have to use my all to perhaps find an unknown metal, strong but very light, or devise a different formula for a known one. Mix some bronze with some iron and some air in a way ignored for a thousand years. I would kiss your smelly feet for an opportunity like that, fat yest. But to make a stupid sword with stupid jewels in the form of stupid initials so some stupid Italian can thrill his stupid mistress? No. That I will not do. For the last time I ask you, please. For the last time I tell you, I am sorry. No. I gave my word the sword would be made, yes, said. I cannot make it. In all the world, no one can but you, and you say no. Which means I have gone back on a commitment. Which means I have lost my honor. Which means that since honor is the only thing in the world I care about, and since I cannot live without it, I must die. And since you are my dearest friend, I may as well die now, with you, basking in the warmth of your affection. And here, Yes would pull out a knife. It was a magnificent thing. A gift from Domingo on Yest's wedding day. Goodbye, little Inigo, Yes would then say. God grant you your quota of smiles. It was forbidden for Inigo to interrupt. Goodbye, little Domingo, Yest would th say then. Although I die in your hut, and although it is your own stubborn fault that ceases my, that causes my ceasing, in other words, even though you are killing me, don't think twice about it. I love you as I always have, and God forbid your conscience should give you any trouble. He pulled open his coat, brought the knife closer, closer. The pain is worth the nut. The pain is worse than I imagined, Yest cried. How can it hurt when the point of the weapon is still an inch away from your belly? Domingo asked. I'm anticipating. Don't bother me. Let me die unpestered. He brought the point to his skin, pushed. Domingo grabbed the knife away. Someday I won't stop you, he said. An ego set an extra place for supper. I was all set to kill myself, truly. Enough dramatics. What is on the menu for this evening? The usual gruel. Anigo, go check to see if there's anything by chance in my carriage outside. There was always a feast waiting in the carriage. And after the food and the stories would come the departure, and always before the departure would come the request. We would be partners, Yest would say, in Madrid. My name before yours on the sign, of course, but equal partners in all things. No. All right, your name before mine. You are the greatest sword maker and deserve to come first. Have a good trip back. Why won't you? Because, my friend, yes. You are very famous and very rich, and so you should be, because you make wonderful weapons. But you must also make them for any fool who happens along. I am poor, and no one knows me in all the world except you and an ego. But I do not have to suffer fools. You're an artist, Yest said. No, not yet. A craftsman only, but I dream to be an artist. I pray that someday, 
If I work with enough care, if I am very, very lucky, I will make a weapon that is a work of art. Call me an artist then, and I will answer. Yest entered his carriage. Domingo approached the window, whispered, I remind you only of this. When you get this jewel-initialed sword, claim it as your own. Tell no one of my involvement. Your secret is safe with me. Embraces and waves, the carriage would leave. And that was the way of life before the six-fingered sword. Inigo remembered exactly the moment it began. He was making lunch for them, his father always. From the time he was... Ugh. He was making lunch for them. His father always, from the time he was six, let him do the cooking. When a heavy knocking came on the hut door. Inside there, a voice boomed. Be quick about it. Inigo's father opened the door. Your servant, he said. You are a sword maker, came the booming voice. Of distinction, I have heard that this is true. If only it were. Domingo replied, but I have no great skills. Mostly I do repair work. Perhaps if you had a dagger blade that was dulling, I might be able to please you, but anything more is beyond me. Inigo crept up behind his father and peeked out. The booming voice belonged to a powerful man with dark hair and broad shoulders who sat upon an elegant brown horse. A nobleman, clearly, but Inigo could not tell the country. I desire to have made for me the greatest sword since Excalibur. I hope your wishes are granted, Domingo said. And now, if you please, our lunch is almost ready, and I do not give you permission to move. You stay right exactly where you are or risk my wrath, which I must tell you in advance is considerable. My temper is murderous. Now, what were you saying about your lunch? I was saying that it will be hours before it is ready. I have nothing to do and would not dream of budging. There are rumors, the nobleman said, that deep in the hills behind Toledo lives a genius, the greatest sword maker in all the world. He visits here sometimes, but... That must be your mistake. But his... Oh, sorry. I kept reading as if that was all one thing and we switched who was talking. Uh, da -da 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 -da. There are rumors, the nobleman said, that deep in the hills behind Toledo lives a genius, the greatest sword maker in all the world. He visits here sometimes, but that must be your mistake. He visits here sometimes. That must be your mistake. But his name is Yest, and he lives in Madrid. I will pay five hundred pieces of gold for my desires, said the big-shouldered noble. That is more money than all the men in this village will earn in all their lives, said Domingo. Truly, I would love to accept your offer, but I am not the man you seek. These rumors lead me to believe that Domingo Montoya would solve my problem. What is your problem? I am a great swordsman, but I cannot find a weapon to match my peculiarity. Peculiar, 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 peculiarities, peculiar, you know, that word that apparently I cannot currently say, peculiarities. I have no weapon to match my there would be no one in all the world to equal me if I good lord this word has just mucked up everything and it's like three times in three sentences okay I cannot find a weapon to match my peculiarities and therefore I am deprived of reaching my highest skill. If I had a weapon to match my peculiarities, there would be no one in all the world to equal me. What are these peculiarities you speak of? The nobleman held up his right hand. 
Domingo began to grow excited. The man had six fingers. You see, the noble said. Of course, Domingo interrupted. The balance of the sword is wrong for you because every balance has been conceived conceived of for five. The grip of every handle cramps you because it has been built for five. For an ordinary swordsman, it would not matter, but a great swordsman, a master, would have eventual discomfort, and the greatest swordsman in the world must always be at ease. The grip of his weapon must be as natural as the blink of his eye and cause him no more thought. Clearly, you understand the difficulties, the nobleman began. But Domingo had traveled where others' words could never reach him. I think I said Domingo? Gonna read the sentence again, because I'm not sure which name I said. Uh, but Domingo had traveled where others' words could never reach him. Inigo had never seen his father so frenzied. The measurements. Of course, each finger and the circumference of the wrist and the distance from the sixth nail to the index pad... So many measurements. And your preferences. Do you prefer to slash or cut? If you slash, do you prefer the right-to-left movement or perhaps the parallel? When you cut, do you enjoy an upward thrust? Or how much power do you wish to come from the shoulder? How much from the wrist? Do you wish your point coated so as to enter more easily? Or do you enjoy seeing your opponent's wince? So much to be done. So much to be done. And on and on he went until the noble dismounted and had to almost take him by the shoulders to quiet him. You are the man of the rumors. Domingo nodded. And you will make me the greatest sword since Excalibur. I will beat my body to ruins for you. Perhaps I will fail. But no one will try harder. And payment? When you get the sword, then payment. Now let me get to work measuring. Inigo, my instruments. Inigo scurried into the darkest corner of the hut. I insist on leaving something on account. It is not necessary. I may fail. I insist. All right, one gold piece. Leave that. But do not bother me with money when there is work that needs beginning. The noble took out one piece of gold. Domingo put it in the drawer and left it without even a glance. Feel your fingers now, he commanded. Rub your hands hard. Shake your fingers. You will be excited when you duel, and this handle must match your hands in that excitement. If I measured when you were relaxed, there would be a difference, as much as a thousandth of an inch, and that would rob us of perfection. And that is what I seek. Perfection. I will not rest for less. The nobleman had to smile. And how long will it take to reach it? Come back in a year, Domingo said, and with that he set to work. Such a year. Domingo only slept when he dropped from exhaustion. He ate only when an ego would force him to. He studied, fretted, complained. He never should have taken the job. It was impossible. The next day he would be flying. He never should have taken the job. It was too simple to be worth his labors. Joy to despair, joy to despair, day to day, hour to hour. Sometimes, Inigo would wake to find him weeping. What is it, father? It is that I cannot do it. I cannot make the sword. I cannot make my hands obey me. I would kill myself, except what would you do then? Go to sleep, father. No, I don't need sleep. Failures don't need sleep. Anyway, I slept yesterday. Please, father, a little nap. All right, a few minutes to keep you from nagging. Some nights, Inigo would wake to see him dancing. What is it, father? It is that I have found my mistakes, corrected my misjudgments. Then it will be done soon, father? It will be done tomorrow, and it will be a miracle. You are wonderful, father. I am more wonderful than wonderful. How dare you insult me? But the next night... More tears. What is it now, father? The sword. The sword. I cannot make the sword. But last night, father, you said you had found your mistakes. I was mistaken. 
Tonight I found new ones. Worse ones. I'm the most wretched of creatures. So you wouldn't mind it if I killed myself so I could end this existence. But I would, father. I love you, and I would die if you stopped breathing. You don't really love me. You're only speaking pity. Who could pity the greatest swordmaker in the history of the world? Thank you, Inigo. You're welcome, father. I love you back, Inigo. Sleep, father. Yes. <sighs> Sleep. I would love to pretend that that was acting, but I genuinely had to yawn and just managed to have perfect timing because the universe decided it. Um, do, 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 do. Ah. A whole year of that. Oh, I'm so excited. My favorite line's on the next page. Not this page. Like, I'm at the top of this page and it's... Towards the top. It's in the middle of the next page. Um, do, 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 do. A whole year of that. A year of the handle being right, but the balance being wrong, of the balance being right, but the cutting edge too dull, of the cutting edge sharpened, but that threw the balance off again, of the balance returning, but now the point was f too fat, of the point regaining sharpness only now the entire blade was too short and it all had to go all had to be thrown out all had to be done again 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 <sighs> domingo's health began to leave him he was fevered always now but he forced his frail shell on because this had to be the finest since excalibur domingo was battling legend and it was destroying him such a year. One night, Inigo woke to found his father seated, staring, calm. Inigo followed the stare. The six-fingered sword was done. Even in the hut's darkness, it glistened. At last, Domingo whispered. He could not take his eyes from the glory of the sword. After a lifetime. Inigo. Inigo. I am an artist. The big-shouldered nobleman did not agree. When he returned to purchase the sword, he merely looked at it a moment. Not worth waiting for, he said. Inigo stood in the corner of the hut, watching holding his breath. You are disappointed? Domingo could scarcely get the word spoken. I'm not saying it's trash, you understand, the nobleman went on. But it is certainly not worth five hundred pieces of gold. I'll give you ten. It's probably worth that. Wrong! Domingo and cried. Domingo cried. It is not worth ten. It is not worth even one. Here. And he threw open the drawer where the gold piece had lain untouched to the year. The gold is yours. All of it. You have lost nothing. He took back the sword and turned away. I'll take the sword, the nobleman said. I didn't say I wouldn't take it. I only said... I would pay what it was worth. Domingo whirled back, eyes bright. You quibbled. You haggled. Art was involved, and you saw only money. Beauty was here for the taking, and you saw only your fat purse. You have lost nothing. There is no more reason for you remaining here. Please go. The sword, the noble said. The sword belongs to my son, Domingo said. I give it to him now. It is forever his. Goodbye. You are a peasant and a fool, and I want my sword. Okay, so here... Oh, I love this. I love this line so much. 
because Inigo's father replies, You're an enemy of art, and I pity your ignorance. <laughs> I just... Ooh. It's such a line of beauty. I will never get over it. Yeah. You're an enemy of art, and I pity your ignorance, Domingo said. Those were the last words he ever uttered. The noble killed him then, with no warning. A flash of the nobleman's sword, and Domingo's heart was torn to pieces. Inigo screamed. He could not believe it. It had not happened. He screamed again. His father was fine. Soon they would have tea. He could not stop screaming. The village heard. Twenty men were at the door. The nobleman pushed his way through them. That man attacked me. See, he holds a sword. He attacked me, and I defended myself. Now move from my way. It was lies, of course, and everyone knew it. But he was a noble, so what was there to do? They parted, and the nobleman mounted his horse. Coward! The nobleman whirled. Pig! Again, the crowd parted. Anigo stood there, holding the six-fingered sword, repeating his words. Coward! Pig! Killer! Someone tend the babe before he oversteps himself, the noble said to the crowd. Anigo ran forward then, standing in front of the nobleman's horse, blocking the nobleman's path. He raised the six-fingered sword with both hands and cried, I, Anigo Montoya, do challenge you, coward, pig, killer, ass, fool, to battle! Get him out of my way. Move the infant. The infant is ten, and he stays, Inigo said. Enough of your family is dead for one day. Be content, said the noble. When you beg me for breath, then I shall be contented. Now dismount. The nobleman dismounted. Draw your sword. The nobleman unsheathed his killing weapon. I dedicate your death to my father, Inigo said. Begin. They began. It was no match, of course. Inigo was disarmed in less than a minute. But for the first fifteen seconds or so, the noble was uneasy. During those fifteen seconds, strange thoughts crossed his mind. For even at the age of ten... Inigo's genius was there. Disarmed, Inigo stood very straight. He said not a word, begged nothing. I'm not going to kill you, the nobleman said, because you have talent and you're brave. But you're also lacking in manners, and that's going to get you in trouble if you're not careful. So I shall help you as you go through life by leaving you with a reminder that bad manners are to be avoided. And with that, his blade flashed. Two times. And Inigo's face began to bleed. Two rivers of blood poured from his forehead to his chin, one crossing each cheek. Everyone knew. Everyone watching knew it then. The boy was scarred for life. An ego would not fall. The world went white behind his eyes, but he would not go to ground. The blood continued to pour. The nobleman repa replaced his sword, remounted, rode on. It was only then that an ego allowed the darkness to claim him. He awoke to Yest's face. I was beaten. Inigo whispered. I failed him. Yest could only say, sleep. Inigo slept. The bleeding stopped after a day, and the pain stopped after a week. They buried Domingo, and for the first and last time, Inigo left Arabella. His face bandaged, he rode in Yest's carriage to Madrid, 
where he lived in Yest's house, Yest's house, obeyed Yest's commands. After a month, the bandages were removed, but the scars were still deep red. Eventually, they softened some, but they always reminded the chief. But they always remained the chief features of Inigo's face. The giant parallel scars, running one on each side from temple to chin. For two years, Yest cared for him. Then one morning, Inigo was gone. In his place were three words: "I must learn." On a note. Into his pillow. Learn? Learn what? What existed beyond Madrid that the child what existed beyond Madrid that the child had to commit to memory? Yes shrugged and sighed. It was beyond him. There was no understanding children any more. Everything was changing too fast, and the young were different. Beyond him, beyond him. Life was beyond him. The world was beyond him. You name it, it was beyond him. He was a fat man who made swords. That much he knew. So he made. <laughs> oh no! I hope it's still recording. Okay, it's still recording. Sorry. I'm laying on my bed and totally dropped the phone off the bed. Okay. Um, da -da 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 -da. Everything was beyond him. So he made more swords, and he grew fatter, and the years went by. As his figure spread, so did his fame. From all across the world they came, begging him for weapons. So he doubled his prices, because he didn't want to work too hard anymore. He was getting old. But when he doubled his prices... When the news spread from duke to prince to king, they only wanted him more desperately. Now the wait was two years for a sword, and the lineup of royalty was unending. And Yest was growing tired, so he doubled his prices again. And when that didn't stop them, he decided to triple his already doubled and redoubled prices. And besides that, all work had to be paid for in jewels in advance, and the wait was up to three years, but nothing would stop them. They had to have swords by Yest or nothing. And even though the work on the fine and even though the work on the finest was nowhere what it once was, Domingo, after all, no longer could save him. The silly wretch men didn't notice. All they wanted was his weapons and they fell over fell over each other with jewels for him. Yest grew very rich, and very heavy. Every part of his body sagged. He had the only fat thumbs in Madrid. Dressing took an hour, breakfast the same. Everything went slowly. But he could still make swords, and people still craved them. I'm sorry, he said to the young Spaniard who entered his shop one particular morning. The wait is up to four years, and even I am embarrassed to mention the price. Have your weapon made by another. I have my weapon, the Spaniard said, and he threw the six-fingered sword across Yest's workbench. Such embraces. Never leave again, Yest said. I eat too much when I'm lonely. I cannot stay, Inigo told him. I'm only here to ask you one question. As you know, I have spent the last ten years learning. And now I have come for you to tell me if I'm ready. Ready? For what? What in the world have you been learning? The sword. Madness, said Yest. You have spent ten entire years just learning to fence. No, not just learning to fence, Anigo answered. I did many other things as well. Tell me. Well, Anigo began, ten years is what? Thirty-six hundred days? 
and that's about I figured this out once so I remember pretty well about 86,000 hours well I always made it a point to get four hours of sleep per night that's 14,000 hours right there leaving perhaps 72,000 hours to account for you slept um, with you what else well I squeezed rocks I'm sorry my hearing sometimes fails me it sounded like you said you squeezed rocks to make my wrist strong so I could control the sword rocks like apples that size I would squeeze them in each hand for perhaps two hours a day and I would spend another two hours a day in skipping and dodging and moving quickly so that my feet would be able to get me into position to deliver property to deliver properly the thrust of the sword that's another 14,000 hours I'm down to 58,000 now well I always sprinted two hours each day as fast as I could so my legs as well as being quick would also be strong not just running, sprinting, and sprinting is like all out. <sighs> See, I don't like running, but I like sprinting, because sprinting is usually like short distances. Is that the definition? Gosh, I'm gonna have to go look up the definition of sprinting. One second. Okay, running versus sprinting. I was correct. Running and sprinting are vigorous, high-intensity exercises. While they both use the same muscle groups, the difference lies in speed. Sprinting is a more powerful, faster form of running that can only be performed in short bursts. So, like, him being like, ah, oh, I just sprinted. Sprinting is, like, all out, hold nothing back form of running. Like, I don't know why my brain is like, cars! Cars is the perfect analogy for this. Like, running is like you being on the freeway. Sprinting is like, I just put my foot all the way down because I'm trying to see how fast my car goes. Like, I don't think it's physically possible to sprint. Not that I'm like, oh, you know, you can just hold and squeeze rocks for two hours a day and only sleep for four hours a day for a decade. Like, we're not getting into that. Running for two hours a day sounds horrible, but like sprinting? Maybe it's just because I like sprinting. Sprinting is fun, because sprinting is like short distances. How fast can I push my body? And then I don't have to continue. <laughs> but like two hours. This is like, don't get me wrong. Two hours of running already sounds impressive. But like sprinting, it's probably just for like writing drama. But holy hell, that would be so hard to do. I just, I feel tired just thinking about it. <laughs> da, 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 da. Well, I always sprinted two hours each day as fast as I could, so my legs, as well as being quick, would also be strong. And that gets me down to about 50,000 hours. Yest examined the young man before him. Blade thin, six feet in height, straight as a sapling, bright-eyed, taut, even motionless, he seemed whip-it-quick. And these last 50,000 hours, these have been spent studying the sword. Inigo nodded. Where? Wherever I could find a master, Venice, Bruges, Bruges, B-R-U-G-E-S, Budapest, I could have taught you here, true, but you care for me, you would not have been ruthless, you would have said, excellent Perry and Ego, now that's enough for one day, let's have supper. That does sound like me, Guest admitted. 
But why was it so important? Why was it worth so much of your life? Because I could not fail him again. Fail who? My father. I've spent all these years preparing to find the six-fingered man and kill him in a duel. But he is a master, yes. He said as much, and I saw only and I saw the way his sword flew at Domingo. I must not lose that duel when I find him. So now I have come to you. You know swords and swordsmen. You must not lie. Am I ready? If you say I am, I will seek him through the world. If you say no, I will spend another ten years, and another ten after that, if that is what is needed. If that is needed. So they went to Yest's courtyard. It was late morning. Hot. Yest put his body in a chair, and the chair in the shade. That sounds like he sat down and then just, like, dragged the, like, pushed the chair once he's already sitting, like, across <laughs> into the shade, which is just a horrendously funny mental image. Um, he put his body in the chair and the chair in the shade. Inigo stood waiting in the sunshine. We need not test desire, and we know you have sufficient motive to deliver the death blow, yes said. Therefore, we need only probe your knowledge, and speed, and stamina. We need no enemy for this. The enemy is always in the mind. Visualize him. Inigo drew his sword. The six-fingered man taunts you, yes calls. Do what you can. Inigo began to leap around the courtyard, the great blade flashing. He uses the... Agrippa? A-G-R-I-P-P-A. He uses the Agrippa defense, yes, shouted. Immediately, Inigo shifted position, increased the speed of his sword. Now he surprises you with Bonetti's attack. But Inigo was not surprised for long. Again, his feet shifted. He moved his body a different way. Perspiration was pouring down his thin frame now, and the great blade was blinding. Yest continued to shout. Inigo continued to shift. The blade never stopped. At three in the afternoon, Yest said, Enough. I am exhausted from the watching. Inigo sheathed the six-fingered sword and waited. You wish to know if I feel you are ready to duel to the death a man ruthless enough to kill your father, rich enough to buy protection, older and more experienced, and acknowledged master. Inigo nodded. I'll tell you the truth, and it's up to you to live with it. First, there has never been a ma there has never been a master as young as you. Thirty years at least before that rank has yet been reached. And you are barely twenty-two. Well, the truth is, you are, you are an impetuous boy driven by madness. And you are not now, and you will never be, a master. Thank you for your honesty, Inigo said. I must tell you, I had hoped for better news. I find it very hard to speak just now. So if you'll please excuse me, I'll be on my... I had not finished, Yes said. What else is there to say? I loved your father very dearly, that you know. But this you did not know. When you were very young, not yet twenty, we saw, with our own eyes, an exhibition by the Corsian wizard, Basita. I know of no wizards. It is the rank beyond master in swordsmanship, Yest said. Basita was the last man so designated. Long before your birth, he died at sea. There have been no wizards since, 
and you would never in this world have beaten him. But I tell you this, he would never in this world have beaten you. Amigo stood silent for a long time. I am ready then? Oh, sorry. That I read like a question, and it is a statement. I am ready then. I would not enjoy being the six-fingered man, was all Yest replied. The next morning, Inigo began the track down. He had it all carefully prepared in his mind. He would find the six-fingered man. He would go up to him. He would simply say, he would say simply, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And then, oh then, the duel. It was a lovely plan, really. Simple, direct, no frills. In the beginning, Inigo had all kinds of wild vengeance notions. But gradually, simplicity had seemed the better way. Originally, he had all kinds of little plays worked out in his mind. The enemy would weep and beg, the enemy would cringe and cry, the enemy would bribe and slobber and act in every way unmanly. But eventually, these two gave way in his mind to simplicity. The enemy would simply say, Oh yes, I remember killing him. I'll be only too delighted to kill you too. Inigo had only one problem. He could not find the enemy. It never occurred to him that there would be... It never occurred to him there would be the least difficulty. After all, how many noblemen were there with six fingers on their right hands? Surely it would be the talk of whatever his vicinity happened to be. A few questions. Pardon, I'm not crazy, but have you seen any six-fingered nobleman lately? And surely, sooner or later, there would be an answering yes. But it didn't come sooner. And later wasn't the kind of thing you wanted to hold your breath for, either. The first month wasn't all that discouraging. Anigo crisscrossed Spain, Portugal. The second month, he moved to France and spent the rest of the year there. The year following that was his Italian year, and then came Germany and the whole of Switzerland. It was only after five solid years of failure that he began to worry. By then, he had seen all of the Balkans and most of Scandinavia, and had visited the Florinese and the natives of Gilder and into Mother Russia and down step by step around the entire Mediterranean. By then, he knew what had happened. Ten years learning was ten years too long. Too much had been allowed to happen. The six-fingered man, six man was probably crusading in Asia, or getting rich in America, or a hermit in the East Indies, or... Or... Dead? Anigo, at the age of 27, began having a few extra glasses of wine at night to help him get to sleep. At 28, he was having a few extra glasses to help him digest his lunch. At 29, the wine was essential to wake him in the morning. His world was collapsing around him. Not only was he living in daily failure, something almost as dreadful was beginning to happen. Fencing was beginning to bore him. He was simply too good. He would make his living during his travels by finding the local champion wherever he happened to be. They would duel, and Danigo would disarm him and accept whatever they happened to bet. And with his winnings, he would pay for his food and his lodging and his wine. But the local champions were nothing, even in the big cities. The local experts were nothing, 
Even in the capital cities, the local masters were nothing. There was no competition, nothing to help him keep an edge. His life began to seem pointless, his quest pointless. Everything, everything without reason. At 30, he gave up the ghost. He stopped his search, forgot to eat, slept only on occasion. He had his wine for company, and that was enough. He was a shell, the greatest fencing machine since the Corsian wizard was barely even practicing the sword. He was in that condition when the Sicilian found him. At first, the little hunchback only supplied him with stronger wine, but then, through a combination of praise and nudging, the Sicilian began to get him off the bottle, because the Sicilian had a dream. With his guile, plus the Turk's strength, plus the Spaniard's sword, they might become the most effective criminal organization in the civilized world, which is precisely what they became. In dark places, their names whipped sharper than fear. Everyone had needs that were hard to fulfill. The Sicilian crowd, two was company, three was a crowd even then, became more and more famous and more and more rich. Nothing was beyond or beneath them. Inigo's blade was flashing again, more than ever like lightning. The Turk's strength grew more prodigious with the months, but the hunchback was the leader. There was never doubt. Without him, Inigo knew where he would be, on his back, begging wine in some alley entrance. The Sicilian's word was not just law, it was gospel. So when he said, kill the man in black, all other possibilities ceased to exist. The man in black had to die.